And you can live in the day. tuning in to man in the making uh, today we have free viewer questions as requested on instagram and we'll be covering them beginning with preparing for fatherhood uh, raj you you have a how old is my six months a six months old daughter yeah. so we we needed a topic for today and I asked some folks on Instagram. So if you follow me on Instagram, you're following everything is your fault. That's what my handle is called. And I asked, and so three listeners got some good suggestions here. One of them is preparing for fatherhood is the first one. I think that's a good one. I've entered into fatherhood six months ago, but really you enter into fatherhood, um, Let's see, I entered into fatherhood when I was in probably in 2015 is when I fully feel like I matured into a man. And it's a feeling it's a, you, 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 it hits you. You just know it. Um, you're, you're, you're like, I am a man. And at that point you can be a father to anything and anyone you can play the archetype archetypal role of father as uh, order, uh, that which restores order from chaos, guardianship, protection, and gathering of, of sustenance and, and caring for either people or things. All of those are mythological traits of fatherhood, the father, a father, and age is age yes rokas did you have a thought uh yeah would a father need to wait how would i phrase this in order to be a good father would you need to be a good leader have those leadership qualities yeah yeah a, a, a good leader is a, a type of father figure and is it necessary to have those leadership qualities in order to be a good father uh, no, um, well, I think so. Yeah. I'd go back on that. Yeah. I, I would say, um, a good father is not, I mean, a, a bad father is, is probably someone who is not leading their child, not preparing, just letting them go right due to their own ignorance or absence or both. So you're there, but that's not good enough. Just being there. Uh, you have to create a group environment that is a structured and ordered system so that they can then be prepared to go out into chaos. So if you, if you don't have a certain amount of skills and qualities of a leader, then you're, you're either going to have to develop them as you go or may not work out too well and it often doesn't right a lot of people are messed up by their parents it's i'm not i'm not concerned about that subjectivity or anecdotal at all that i think that is widespread and i'm confident that that's a thing parents 
don't know how to lead themselves. I mean, people don't know how to lead themselves. People don't know how to lead, let alone teams, but themselves. And so they have kids and they, they, uh, they're, they're learning as they go and they're not fast learners. So the, the kids have issues. I had issues from my parents cause they didn't, they, they weren't as complete and, and self-reflected as they could have been. And they figured stuff out as they got older and that led to a lot of weird things that I had to work through. So it's not guaranteed just cause so the, so what I was thinking, like preparing for fatherhood really it, it's, it starts way before you have a kid and it starts when you're a kid. It starts with the training and conditioning of a leader, really. And uh, first you lead yourself. First you guide yourself. You understand who you are and then you make a path for yourself. And uh, age isn't really a factor here. It's, it's about experience and education. Um, so you know, I say 2015, I really became a man, I became an adult, but I was, how old was I in 2015? 1986. 29? Yeah. So when I was 29, I felt like I stepped into manhood. 29. Um, before that, I didn't have that confidence. I didn't have that uh, feeling that sense of uh, self uh, assertiveness and confidence. It's very strange, but I, I remember telling one of the monks too. I was like, I feel it. I feel like I become an adult. I get it. And he was like, good. I'm glad you grew up. I'm glad you're not a child anymore. So what led up to that development? Um, it was, it was uh, taking responsibility responsibility was huge, right? Uh, 2015, I started to teach people. Uh, I started to mentor. I started to understand that uh, we can be our own evil. <laughs> we can be our own monster. We, we are responsible. So it, it sort of hit me all at once. And I started to have this sense of of routine and schedule and, and self-care, self-trust. And uh, yeah, that was it for me. So there's that. I think that's a good way to prepare for fatherhood. Are you, or do you have that sense of being an adult? If you're like, oh, I'm still a kid, you know, then fatherhood is having the child is not necessarily uh, going to goad you into fatherhood and be the catalyst sometimes right you hear that it is the catalyst someone is going to have a kid and so they kind of all of a sudden step up and so i i think that that's a that's whatever that's what it is but i would recommend having those stepping up qualities long before the baby is about to arrive my friend uh and mentor a jiu-jitsu mentor um, Grayson just had a baby with his wife Kelly and um, you know Grayson is uh, a man he's a young man I think he's my age or so and 
he's a jujitsu black belt. I mean, so he's gone through these ups and downs and personal journey, uh, self-reflective type type adventures and experiences, right? And so this is just the next thing. It's just natural. So I, 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 uh, I think they're going to do amazing. They really do. Parenthood, on the other hand, getting ready for parenthood, uh, I don't think is possible. There's physical things that you need to do, right? Like buy stuff and have diapers and baby wipes and, and, and clothing for the baby. Covers, uh, a little bed because they sleep like most of the day when they're just born. Uh, you don't need a crib uh, and a bassinet. You just need one or the other for at least six months. If I, if I could go back, I wouldn't have both. Um, the crib was useless for about five to six months. So I would have waited on that. Like your nursery, you don't have to have like some nursery built out and everything. It, the, the baby doesn't need anything like that for at least five months, in my opinion. Um, you know, in parenthood, the dynamic of two people or a community raising a child that happens with the child that doesn't happen before. So I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's preparation there because if you're in a good relationship with two adults, you've got a great, you've got great things going on. Um, but the fatherhood and motherhood thing is very individual, uh, extremely individual. Motherhood is interesting. I could tell Helena was, was going to be a good mother right when I met her. Uh, after about five minutes after I started talking to her because she was very caring. She was just motherly. Uh, she looked motherly. I mean, it's just very interesting how that works. You know, some people don't look like they'd want to have a kid. She looked like she was ready to care for like a tribe of kids. And I just think that's, that's interesting. But um, yeah, I think that's the basics of, of fatherhood, right? It's just, uh, becoming an adult and you naturally become a father and and when you're ready to be a father of a baby you usually have fathered something already you usually have nurtured something already um, and the baby just comes along naturally going that's on to that okay I yeah look at those yeah all right so another instagram listener uh, has asked how to deal with awkward people. I'm going to separate his, his questions there. How to deal with awkward people. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I actually love dealing with awkward people because <laughs> I'm an awkward person. <laughs> I, um, uh, I don't say normal things. I don't act normal, I guess. For me, it's normal, but I... Uh, I'll go up to a random person and just start having a conversation with them and, and just try to become their friend immediately. And it works out pretty well. Some people are like, back up. <laughs> Why are you trying to sell me? What, what is the motive behind this? Or like they're real closed off. Yeah. So they're just like, uh, you know, they're just not ready for that. Um, but I make, like I've been at this gym, the gym that I go to, uh, we go every day. Um, I mean, I just have people coming up to me and, you know, and after like talking to them for like 10 seconds, 
we're like hooked. It's like, boom, that guy's my friend. And you see him again and it's just like fist bumps. Hey, hey, how's it? How's it? You know, all this kind of stuff. So it doesn't take long when you're um, self-developed uh, and when you're open. So awkward people to me, how to deal with really awkward people. You just kind of, number one, you uh, treat them with, with respect. I had an awkward person come out to me uh, the other day at the gym. And it was like an older man. And he was just asking me weird questions. Like she just out of nowhere. And I just like logically answered his questions one by one. And then started to kind of, you, you show social signs of um, I'm going to go or, you know, we were on our way out. So it was natural. We were kind of heading towards the door. And, um, but I stopped and, and was answering his questions and, I wasn't in that much of a hurry. Um, but this fellow was awkward and I saw him the other day again and he was doing it to someone else and the guy stopped and was answered his questions and started to go on. So you, number one, give the person some sense of respect that they exist. And uh, you, in that moment of giving them the space and time and part of your time, you just kind of detect whether it's so awkward you can't handle it or it's just awkward enough to where it's like, oh, I, this will only last a minute or two. I can survive this. If you have to work with awkward people, find out their skill. They may be socially awkward, but find out like what their mastery is because they're probably really good at something and stick to that. And th that can be a very helpful part of a team. Socially, that, so we went over social awkwardness at first, professional awkwardness, um, find out, you know, what their training is, and, and you may find out that they're like some genius Java coder or something. And there's like the indirect awkwardness, uh, maybe they're not your friend socially or, or whatever, but you're in the same scene as the uh, with them. You know, I, I've had situations where I don't really jive well with people because they try to make jokes or something and they don't know me that well. And it's just kind of weird. And some people make jokes. They make put downs as like jokes. They think that you're like best friends and they already start to like make jabs at you. And it's like, haha, that's not really funny. Like you're not my friend. I don't know what I do in that situation is I don't laugh. I'm just like, huh. You know, is that so? Like, how exactly did you do you come across, come up with that conclusion or something like that? And then it kind of gives that, I don't know, it's kind of sets a frame. I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but usually that helps the situation for me. Because if you go along with a joke, like a put down with someone you don't know, you can easily be taken advantage of. So to me, that's awkward that creates an awkward situation. And I kind of just like hold a frame of, of, huh, like that's, uh, that's not something I thought, you know, where did you get that thought? And then they're like, they either back off or they double down. And if they double down, I just kind of walk away. And then that's usually when normal people will be like, Oh, that guy's an asshole or, Oh, that that's just the way he is, you know? So I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah.
Uh, yeah, I was trying to think from different perspectives as well, but I think you've covered all of them. I don't know yeah. what other way I'd approach it. I've turned those people into my friends, but um, if they're too kind of different, and I, and I don't, like awkward is a good word, but I can be awkward with another awkward individual, right? And then the two of us are just two friends. And we're, that means we just have like, like interests. But if this awkward person has like a totally different mode of being and it's just awkward, awkward, like essentially socially inept. Well, I mean, if they're just like different and, and we don't have the same interests, okay. yeah. then I'll probably just keep my distance. And I mean, the person just doesn't jive with me enough to where I, I want to spend. In so I think about energy management a lot. So if the person is not going to reciprocate energy, then I'm probably not going to ever make an advancement again beyond hello. That's probably it. So I guess one way that I deal with awkward people is I put them in a value hierarchy. Is this person valuable enough to where their awkwardness is worth the energy? And if not, then I'm, I'm going to place them as an unimportant factor in my in my uh day okay. yeah it sounds like the question came from davy it sounded like you said uh how do you deal with really awkward people you with dave you know he's he's probably working with them in an, in an environment that he can't get out of if that's the case then you're forced to create like mind like interests so I, I'm thinking of situations where you can leave the person. If you're stuck with them professionally, you're forced to get along with them. You're forced to har create harmony where harmony didn't exist before. And that's a responsibility. You can't just put, pe you know, put people in a value hierarchy when you work with them. If that's the case, they're, they're higher up on your value hierarchy, regardless of how they are, how their character is. Right. So, you're in a situation where, and we've talked about this before, and that's what everything is your fault is kind of about. You're forced to take responsibility for how to figure this person out and how to work with them harmoniously. And that's, a, uh, that's actually a, an, an, an interesting thing. It can be painful. It will be painful, most likely, but that's kind of part of the job. Um, and every, I think, leader will know and, and you know, without saying... It's kind of an unspoken understanding. If you're having difficulties with someone on your team, you should probably start working them out together. If you have to come to an arbiter and go to the leader and say, hey, I'm not really working well with this person, they're going to be like, well, is that where we are? Like, did, is that why I hired you? Because you don't work well with other people that are hard to deal with? Or can you people grow up and figure this out on your own and return your deliverable by the end of the month? Right. Like the leader doesn't have time really uh, to go through that. Two people ideally should take responsibility and work things out together and be awkward together. So, yeah. The other part of the question, letting go and moving on. So I'm going to guess that this is separate. How do we let go and how do we move on? And I think Dave asked that before. Baby asked that before, but I, I didn't get to it. So I, I do apologize for that. 
letting go and moving on is, is uh, pretty easy to do. You let go and you move on with something. Um, but for a non-person who isn't a monk, it can be hard to let go. Yeah, it, I recommend absorbing the pain of like the situation as quickly as you can um, and realize that holding on and staying there is making it worse. Chalk it up to experience. And also what helps me is that I believe that everything happens for a reason. So, and also responsibility, all of these things together, me being responsible somewhere in some fashion or another, and this was supposed to happen anyway, those coupled together really help you move on and help you be detached from the, the feeling of a, the negative situation. Um, for example, uh, a friend of mine recently had an interesting situation where he had to pay a lot of money to the IRS. And the, it was his mistake that a payment got deferred to some, to some other situation that was forgiven. So the IRS took that money and said, oh, this must be for this, this thing. We're going to use this money for this, and you still owe us for this, right? So this was an accident on their part, not the IRS, but on, on, on my friend's part. And I, I happened to be there staring at him as he went through the, the initial shock. And I don't know, maybe an hour went by and it was like, okay, it was my fault. This was, this was supposed to happen. Like he went through all these things himself, right? Because we have like interests. It, he went through the responsibility. It sucks, but I made the mistake of not, not being specific enough where this money was supposed to go. I could have fixed this by changing something about what I did. And, uh, you know, I get it. This was good in the end. Right. So it took maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half. So, I mean, then this person hadn't been a monk for 12 years, but, uh, they understand those two principles. It's a lot of things tend to happen for a reason and somehow I'm responsible. So those, those are major in, in all, uh, things life. I really recommend those two philosophies and to internalize those two teachings. Oh, Zen mind has the good news. Um, we have a place, uh, to do retreats. Zen mind is, uh, now very closely tied to a cabin in Minnesota. And so our next retreat will be in Minnesota. Interesting. Okay. On a, on a lake, a private cabin on a lake in Minnesota. It'll be wonderful. Okay. Is there a rough day for that yet? Uh, no, we have to talk about when people are out of school and, and um, when the weather will be just right and things like that. So I'm going to go there first and uh, hang out for a few days and, and we'll, and talk details so but it looks like our 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 yearly gathering will be set in in minnesota which will be nice cool looking forward to yeah that. me too me too
Another listener on Instagram recommended diet, nutrition, a yogi's perspective. I mean, this is a pretty, pretty cool question because diet and nutrition are one thing, but a yogi's perspective on diet nutrition puts that interesting twist on it. Uh, the monks that I trained with uh, thought of food as a couple different ways. Number one, eat mostly, eat most of your calories before the afternoon, like taper calories into the evening yogically so that you can sleep. You're, you're pretty much on a light stomach as you sleep and you're not like too heavy and um, saturated with food as you lay down to go to bed. Yogically, that's important. Uh, a lot of times you get pulled into weird areas in the mind and the astral world as you, you know, you try to sleep with a heavy stomach. Doesn't always work yogic, yogically. Meditation won't work too well if you're super full. Um, and every yogi meditates a little bit before they go to bed. So your diet naturally falls into that routine. Nutrition wise, you would want to cover all of the um, six flavors. Let me see if I can get all six. Sweet, sour, salty, umami, bitter. There's one more. Ah, there's one more. I don't have it. The six flavors. I mean, the the person who asked this question already knows this, but for everyone else. Oh, man. Pungent. Pungent? Is that one of them? Sweet, salty, sour, pungent, bitter, and astringent. Astringent? Yeah, I don't to know. To me, astringent is. is bitter. Okay, so that's kind of um, yogic nutrition. So you have, uh, that's why the Indian diet is made up of, like you go to an Indian restaurant, you get curry, rice, something is hot, something is sweet, excuse me. It's in the form of um, chutneys, yogurts, sauces, uh, and you're given those different six aspects of, of flavor uh, in with a meal. So it's considered a, a part of a natural, healthy nutrition is to have all of those in one meal. I can name the ex like example foods for each one for people. And then you can go over if, if that's correct. Cool. Okay. So for sweet... It would be uh, fruits, cream, and certain vegetables like sweet potatoes, sour pickles, vinegar, and anything citrus, salty, salt. Uh, pungent is spicy things, so chili peppers, uh, anything with a bit of a bite too, so ginger, onions, garlic. Then bitter is spinach, kale, eggplant, spices like turmeric, fruits like grapefruit, grapefruit. And then astringent, cranberries, pears, broccoli, coffee, and tea. Interesting. So, yeah. I like all that. That was pretty much the, the monk's diet. We ate 
Okay, so the other side of the of the nutrition is uh, three of a yogi's nutrition is is understanding the three types of of food: uh, sattvic, rajasic, and tamasic. So sattvic is uh, light and airy, uh, yogurts, nuts, seeds, fruits. Okay, so we would have that in the morning. That was a breakfast. We'd have a sattvic breakfast. Uh, we would have our uh, rajasic foods. Well, we would have our tamasic foods at midday. Um, you know, you're balanced. What is tamasic? How do you describe rajasic is easy because it's spicy and hot and garlic and onion. Tamasic. Ayurveda, that's the system of Indian nutrition and health. Denoting a class of foods that are dry, old, foul, unpalatable, and are thought to be promote pessimism, ignorance, laziness, criminal tendencies, and doubt. Great. That is intense. And one of the gunas. Oh, so these are called the three gunas. I forgot. So, okay. Oh, I didn't know. I, I had these kind of, I didn't realize tamasic was that negative so sattvic is the light and airy foods the the foods grown from the earth and everything rajasic is the spicy the hot tamasic is like your junk foods your pizzas your ice creams your your fast foods and candy and things like that that's interesting oh and meat i guess also is tamasic interesting so we would kind of go back and forth between sattvic and rajasic and then have tamasic like on the weekends. So that's cool. It looks like it changes a little bit too. Tamasic is just kind of meat and eggs. So if you Google the gunas, the three gunas, sattva, rajas, and tamas, that's kind of a, the way a yogi kind of eats. Um, so the idea of eating around a yogic diet is meditation and this and, and, and mental health fasting must be in there somewhere. Fasting is major for a yogi. So fasting is important for clearing certain things out of the body in a physical way, but also in a mental way, um, helps you go through, through different things. Definitely like once a week is a good, if you've never, fasted once a week is a good practice for you can take on and then what i noticed at least in the monastery once you a lot of a lot of monks once they did certain things for a number of years they would just kind of stop doing them because you get to a certain point and you're i like to think that you get to a certain point in your training and you've you've kind of graduated a, a past some of the basics however that doesn't mean that you're like, you can never learn from them again, but a beginner benefits from a lot of these things more than someone who's experienced, in my opinion, in my opinion, that's, and I'm not sure the monks would even agree with that, but one of the key things that the monks taught was that nothing is too, too easy or beginner for someone who's advanced, right? You can always get better and things like that. And I agree to that. I thought you can't disagree with that. I think that's great. Um, but after you get to a certain point, 
spicy food or tamasic food is not necessarily going to change the way you think about something. So when you're, when you're just starting out on the path as a yogi, you're very sensitive. A lot of these things are, are, you get more and more sensitive as it goes on. And I remember realizing that when I was in the monastery for a few years, I was telling one of the senior monks, I was like, man, I thought on the path I'd become more bulletproof, but I'm becoming more sensitive to everything. And he said, yeah, you're kind of opening yourself up to all these different things that you still need to go through. And the toughness and the, the solidity and of bulletproof uh, states kind of come later when you're like hardened and you've experienced all the sensitivity already. And um, that's certainly how I went through it. Um, I was very sensitive at first. I mean, because we're like this onion, we're revealing all these layers and, and it hurts and it's painful. Um, but then after you've been through it enough, it's like, you're not, you're kind of unfazed after a while, but you're still sensitive as well, still sensitive. So uh, when you're, when you're on the path, you kind of see more things, you observe more things, your powers of, of, of observation are much stronger. So you can go into a conversation with a group of people. And while everyone else maybe is just listening to the conversation, maybe you're looking at body posture, maybe you're looking at um, expression that aren't coming through words, but through facial micro expressions and things like that. And uh, someone who's advanced in meditation can possibly see and feel other things and know other things about other people. So that's like the core levels of sensitivity is intuition. Now, you don't want to let sensitivity hurt you. The newest, the newest yogic thing is, is um, being, an, be, being an empath and being sensitive to everything. And I don't know, that's dangerous. Like letting, letting other people get into you as an empath is, is weakness, in my opinion, and, and oversensitivity, you know, because empaths believe that they, they feel other people when they themselves can't. And it's like, you don't go through karma and, and experience and, and feelings for other people. That's not your job. Uh, that's dangerous. Um, that'll lead you down um, a very strange and manipulated path. Um, and someone is going to take advantage of that eventually. And you're going to get hurt for it. And I don't recommend it. You let people do their thing that's on them um, and you do your thing. And uh, if you don't know them, if they're not close to you, do not try to try to solve their problems. If they're not a client or a student or a friend, you let them go through their karma all up by, their, by themselves. And that's another part of yogic nutrition, right? Energy, energy management. Uh, it's not just about food, but it's about awareness and, and your mind and mental state and what you're paying attention to, what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're listening to. All of that stuff is part of yogic nutrition and diet. So diet is definitely not just food. In fact, that's probably more important than food is, is energy, you know, 
food gives you energy, yes. Um, you want to eat fresh, uh, living things, you know, foods that are grown locally, uh, things like that. It's locally sourced foods and things like that. Colorful, blah, 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 blah. But you need to pay attention to your energy in terms of mental import, export, physical exercise, things like that. What are you denoting your inner, devoting your energy towards and the people that you're around? And sometimes that's manageable. Sometimes it's not. I think that's a pretty good recap of like the basics of, of everything that the podcast has really covered. I feel like we've covered all that stuff, but it's kind of a recap. Okay. Um, gone more in depth. We've just kind of skimmed the surface on things. I guess you'll know more about that than me. No, I don't think so. I well, okay. I sure. I, I don't like, agree with that at all. But you're the, you're the producer. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. how it goes from my perspective, you have a, yeah, looking at it from a wider view because you've been for everything and I'm still like in there. So when I look around, there's still a lot I need to process and a lot to, yeah. I guess I'll just keep it at that. There's a lot I need to process. Whereas you're looking at it from the outside, having gone for everything and processed it already. So yeah. I'm saying you know more what relates to what in terms of topic. So you're more qualified to say whether we've covered that or not. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just giving, well, if I'm teaching the material, it's definitely coming out. It's different. It's being absorbed differently than someone who is learning from it. Um, but your it's important to know what is being absorbed and how it's being absorbed, you know, regardless of, of my understanding of it. It's more important to understand how it's being heard. So, you know, I think your your sense of, of where we are and what we've covered is important to more important than what I feel like we've covered. You're the, you're part of the audience. Yeah. Agreed. And I care about the audience and I care about everyone listening right now. If you uh, have questions or comments, anything you want to talk about and engage with, we're on, we're online. Rokas and I, um, we're on Instagram and Facebook and, and uh, it's pretty easy to find us. Uh, and if you don't have much time in your day to listen to a full podcast episode, there is now a YouTube channel with short oh, clips that are around one minute to three minutes. And the channel name is Man in the Making. But if you look up, if you type in something like Man in the Making, Arjun Shankara or Monk, then the videos will just come up. Because at the moment, I don't think the channel shows up if you just type in Man in the Making. Oh, yeah. So check out the YouTube channel. I'm just getting in. Rokas is doing all the hard work making these <laughs> clips. So that's cool. I've wanted uh, someone to do it for a while. I I have a bunch of audio clips um, on my computer. Send them can, to me. That would be useful. Yeah, because then you don't have. Well, they're not necessarily from the podcast, but. Yeah, that's fine. Just because yeah. it, it sometimes it takes a while to find the other clip. That's sometimes what takes the longest, actually. So if you just send them my way, that'll be very useful, helpful. Right. So yeah. 
So thank you for that. We're on social media and all that. Contact us there. The YouTube, check out those clips. Those are also being posted on social media. So, And of course, if you've purchased Everything is Your Fault from Amazon, please do give us a review. It really helps the algorithm and uh, moves the book, especially with a verified purchase. It moves the book um, closer to top spots. And I think with enough verified reviews, verified purchased reviews, I think it'll, it'll continue to get to competitive numbers. Right now, we have a lot of reviews that um, are just from people that bought the book from me. So potentially a bad idea to sell the book before it came out. And uh, thank you, Rokas. That was fun. And uh, we'll see you around. Yep. Till next time, Rush. All right. Have a good week. Goodbye. You too.